Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com MBO. Terms and conditions apply. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It go down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It was foolish to challenge the gods. After battling the goddess Athena for three days, Enceladus had all but resigned himself to the fate of so many of his fellow giants. But he'd escaped her for the moment, and perhaps that would become his advantage. Enceladus had barely caught his breath when he heard the horses. He whipped around, worried Athena had tracked him to the Ionian Sea, but it was one of Enceladus' own another giant. As the giant grew closer, Enceladus realized something was wrong. Instead of legs, Enceladus and his brother giants slithered on two large serpents with snapping maws where the feet should be. But this giant's serpents weren't snapping, and its face sagged. An arrow whizzed past Enceladus' face. This wasn't a giant. It was a god. You foolish, foolish giant. No one rebels against the gods and escapes unscathed. Athena, the goddess of war and wisdom, peeled off the face of a giant she'd flayed alive, revealing her own face, dripping with blood. She kept the skin wrapped around her like a cloak. Enceladus's leg serpents snapped and spit at Athena, but their fangs couldn't pierce the hide of his own kind. It was a perfect shield. Athena knocked Enceladus into the Ionian Sea. Then she crouched down and lifted the entire isle of Sycalos. Athena had a divine, godly strength. Plucking an island out of the ocean was as easy for her as it was for a man to pick up his child. 
Athena straightened up, raising the island above her. She swung it around over Enceladus and slammed the island on his head. Enceladus crumpled under the blow of the island. He sank and then vanished beneath the landmass. His blood and anger rippled outward from the island. The place where Enceladus was defeated became Mount Etna, and the buried giant was reduced to expressing his wrath through eruptions and earthquakes. Yet something wasn't right. As she watched steam build above Mount Etna, Athena knew her heart was missing a piece. She'd used her wisdom and wit to defeat the enemy, embracing her role as a goddess of war, and it felt empty. She was destined for something greater, she was certain. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're focusing on the Greek goddess Athena. She's the goddess of war and military strategy, but also the goddess of wisdom, civilization, and the arts. In her mythology, she's caught between who she is and who she wants to be. New episodes of Mythology release every Tuesday, and you can find us and all of Parcast's podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. At Parcast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Something to note in these episodes, all Greek myths have many versions and variations. We've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining, and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Additionally, each Greek myth takes place in a wide expanded universe. While we'll cover some major myths of Athena over the next few episodes, this won't be her only appearance in the podcast. Goddess of the arts and of war, Athena exhibits a dichotomy in Greek culture. She's a woman warrior in a culture where women didn't go to war, and a household goddess who vowed to never be a lover or a mother. Athena is masculine, feminine, and something greater than both. She's a goddess for everyone, and a goddess for no one. Ancient Greek society had clear gender roles, treating women as second-class citizens. But Athena exists outside that construct. She'll skin a giant alive, and then go weave a tapestry. She's as apt to teach men gardening and pottery as she is to help them slay their enemies. Unlike her half-brother and rival, Ares, the war god, Athena approaches war with logic and meditation. At the start of a battle, Ares leaps into action, while Athena waits, plans, then leads men to bloody victory. She values rational thinking over emotion, but is not without rage and bloodlust. 
classicist Walter F. Otto characterized Athena as the goddess of nearness because she was always beside the Greek heroes in battle, guiding their spears and swords. She is, like all Greek gods, a killer. However, Athena prefers to change errant humans into other forms, doling out punishments while preserving life. She also transforms herself, taking a male appearance multiple times in the Iliad and the Odyssey. That isn't to say she doesn't embrace a female role, too. In today's myths, the building of the Palladium, the judgment of Paris, and the story of Arachne, Athena strives to be recognized as feminine, and this may be the hardest battle the goddess of war has ever fought. The king of the gods had a headache, and Zeus's son Hephaestus, like many children, was only making it worse. Hephaestus was god of the forge, born with a club foot. To him, a headache was nothing. And then I realized I could put another axe head on my existing axe and kill two men with one blow. Genius, right? Oh, my head is killing me. That's the idea. Both heads could kill. Two heads, one axe. Zeus gestured to his forehead, frustrated. It feels like my skull is expanding and contracting. Maybe I should go... Oh, oh headache. I thought we were still on axe heads. Zeus continued moaning as he dropped to the floor, gripped his head, and rocked back and forth. Hephaestus looked on, torn between sympathy and opportunity. Anything I can do? Maybe take over your duties for a time? Not that a headache could ever take down the great god Zeus. Oh, Hephaestus, will you... Hephaestus eyed his brand new double-headed axe. Then Zeus doubled over in front of him. The opportunity was ripe. Zeus had overthrown Hephaestus' grandfather. Perhaps patricide ran in the family. Oh, make it stop. End it. I'll cut off my head. Hephaestus hid his grin as he grabbed his double-head axe. After today, the gods of Mount Olympus would bow to Hephaestus. He wound up and aimed straight for Zeus's skull. The axe cleaved Zeus's head in half. As Zeus's eyes spread wide apart, a battle helmet emerged from where his brain should have been. Ah! Hephaestus dropped his axe in shock as a fully armored warrior woman sprang from Zeus's head, shouting a battle cry. All thoughts of ruling Mount Olympus faded in the face of this fearsome, beautiful goddess. Ready for battle, Athena stepped out of her father's head and into the light of Mount Olympus. Athena was born without a mother, the child of Zeus alone. She emerged a rational adult, capable of complex thought, and ready to fight for her life. Yet because the Greek gods are modeled on humans, with human flaws and emotions, there is one story of Athena's childhood and a youthful accident that guided the rest of her life. Zeus was accustomed to his children having a mother, so after he fused his head back together, he wasn't sure what to do with Athena. Eventually, the single dad sent his new daughter away to be educated by his nephew, Triton. 
Triton was a fish-tailed ocean god, so Athena spent much of her time in and around water, and more of her time with Triton's daughter, Pallas. Pallas was a water nymph, a maiden of the ocean, and Athena's only friend. But today, the war goddess and the water nymph raised their swords, squaring off against each other. The pair sparred on the surface of a lake. Pallas floated amid a column of waves, her long hair and shimmering fishtail distracting from her killer aim. Athena defended herself from atop a sleek raft, wearing armor as always. She pushed her sword forward, calling out her moves as she executed them. Striking, stabbing, dodging, ducking, and slicing, lunging. As Pallas lunged, Athena used her shield to knock Pallas over. Rising from the waves, Pallas spit water into Athena's face. Hey! <laughs> Pallas spouted more water, somehow forming it into perfect concentric circles, like aquatic smoke rings. Athena couldn't help but laugh. Pallas, be serious. My father's coming to watch us spar tomorrow. We have to impress him. You have to impress him. If I impress him, you know where I'll end up. And my father won't be happy about that. You're filthy. You've heard the stories, and you have a hundred half-siblings to prove it. Thirty-seven. I have thirty-seven half-siblings. That's an army, warrior goddess. Let's go again. I want to get that spinning parry right. Athena was quite skilled in combat. It helped that she took to it naturally, like palace to water. She'd been ecstatic to hear Triton declare that they were finally good enough to spar in front of Zeus. The proud fathers had invited a crowd of gods, nymphs, and even a few mortals they fancied. Rowing out onto the lake, Athena fiddled with her helmet. She knew her armor made her look ferocious, but she still felt like a child in a woman's body. What if she fell off her raft? What if her mind went blank and she froze? What if her father, the king of the gods, thought she was only average? A terrifying column of water arose from the depths. Inside it, Pallas. She met Athena's eye and flashed a quick smile. Athena relaxed. She wasn't alone. She had Pallas. With her best friend beside her, Athena had nothing to worry about. They began to spar. In the audience, Zeus watched intently. Next to him, his wife Hera, the goddess of marriage, looked around, intent in a different way. Aphrodite has such a nice nose, don't you think? Sure. That's it. Slice and dodge. Well done. You've never noticed it? I guess it's fine, if you like noses. It looks quite like Athena's. Don't start on this again. I don't understand why you- She's going to fall in the water. A wave crashed over Athena, soaking her. Athena slipped, but kept her footing on the raft. Come on, Athena, you can do it. Get back up there, raise that sword. You'll win this yet. They aren't actually fighting. It's a mock spar. At the end of which, my daughter will win. Zeus nervously watched Athena struggle through the next few maneuvers. She's going to fall and embarrass us. Us? She does have a mother. I knew it. I meant Athena and myself. As Zeus worried, Athena relaxed into the rhythm of the spar. 
She breathed deeply as she pressed her shield against Pallas's sword. Her instincts took over. Suddenly, a new heat rushed through Athena's veins. She'd never felt this warrior power before, but it possessed her. Her feet danced more nimbly. Her sword twisted more sharply. She tasted metal in her mouth. For the first time, she might want to kill. Across the lake, Zeus adjusted his shield. The sun gleamed off of it. Getting an idea, he tilted his shield, aiming the ray of light at Pallas. In the water, the light caught Pallas's eye. She looked up. Meanwhile, Athena stabbed toward Pallas's heart, a final flourish, the perfectly executed move she was born for. This was her gift, combat. Athena lunged, expecting Pallas to dodge as they had rehearsed. She didn't notice that Pallas's face was tilted up, distracted. Pallas looked toward Zeus as Athena's sword pierced her heart. Instead of blood, water flowed from Pallas's wound. She shrank, dissolving, until all that was left were her eyes, which transformed into two wiggling minnows. Pallas was dead. Coming up, we'll look at how Athena's guilt and grief led her to try to be something she wasn't. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now back to the story. As Triton and his nymphs wailed with grief, Athena cried on the beach. She wasn't allowed to join the mourning in the lake. Pallas's death was, after all her fault. Zeus strode up to her, holding a sloshing goblet of wine. My pride and joy. There you are. Pride? I shamed you. Nonsense. I killed. You won. You're truly the goddess of war now. This heat, the the urge to kill overtook. I, I couldn't stop myself. It blinded me. Zeus put his hand on Athena's shoulder. Take it as a lesson. When a mortal asks you to guide him into battle, now you'll know what you're helping him to do. The spoils of war always come at a cost. If I help a man kill, it'll be thought out, logical, necessary. Not like this. You'll adjust to it. This didn't seem to be cheering Athena up. Zeus handed her his goblet. Athena took a swig. Then she downed it. Learn this, Athena. Death is never far from any man. 
or woman. Women don't kill. Athena considered this. If she wanted to keep herself from killing thoughtlessly, she'd have to become more womanly. Looking at the mud on the shoreline, she knew just how to do it. Athena took up sculpting. As she remade the rock into a statue, she remade herself as a goddess of the arts. She took up weaving, pottery, and writing. Before long, she'd created a beautiful statue of Pallas and called it the Palladium. Athena presented it to Zeus. See this statue as a promise. I won't act without thought again. It was merely a water nymph. Her name was Pallas. If you like the name so much, maybe you should use it, girl. I think I shall. From then on, Athena was often known as Pallas Athena. It was appropriate. Pallas translated to girl, so by taking on the name, she both honored her friend and honored her womanhood. It became a reminder to warriors on the battlefield she wasn't exactly one of them. Pallas can also be interpreted as weapon brandishing, but Athena chose to ignore that fact, and this willful ignorance led her to subject herself to the judgment of Paris. The gods loved nothing like they loved a party, so the sea nymph Thetis's marriage to a mortal, King Peleus, was reason enough for all of Mount Olympus to indulge in casks upon casks of wine. At the wedding, Athena, who now styled herself the gray-eyed goddess of weaving, shared a bottle with Hera, the vengeful goddess of marriage, and Aphrodite, the beautiful goddess of passion. The trio of goddesses watched Thetis and Peleus dance. Oh, I just love love. Oh, beautiful children, don't you think? I'm not sure the match is wise. She's a nymph, he's a mortal. He'll die long before her. <laughs> Impracticality is what makes love beautiful. Calm down, Aphrodite. No one marries for love. <laughs> you didn't hear it from me, but we're here because of a prophecy. Athena and Aphrodite moved closer to Hera, intrigued by the gossip. Hera put her arms around both of them. Athena could smell Hera's perfume, ambrosia and olive oil. The oracles say Thetis's son will be powerful. So powerful, he'll dethrone Zeus. The son of a human and a sea nymph? Dethrone the great Zeus? Impossible. Exactly. That's why Thetis is marrying a mortal. Zeus arranged the whole thing. But they seem so in love. Why do you think Zeus is throwing such an elaborate feast? He doesn't care about a sea nymph. He cares about his own power. He wouldn't allow any of the gods to touch her. Oh, you can see it on Poseidon's face. Athena looked across the crowded banquet hall. Poseidon was getting very, very drunk. In fact, he was out drinking Dionysus, the god of wine. He loved Thetis. He just loved Mount Olympus a little bit more. More wine, Athena? Nodding, Athena felt glorious. Hera seemed to finally be accepting her and the fact that she really was motherless. Maybe Hera could be her foster mother or her new best friend. Athena was about to compliment Hera's braids when a glimmering golden apple landed smack in the center of the three goddesses. What is that? 
Hera picked up the golden apple. What a gorgeous thing. It's labeled to the fairest. <laughs> Hera moved to tuck the apple into her chiton, but Aphrodite snatched it. It appears I have a secret admirer. Aphrodite scanned the room, pleased with herself. Hera took the apple back. Forgive me, Aphrodite, but no one is fairer than the queen of the gods. Only the goddess of fertility and pleasure. Who has more womanly virtue than I? Athena, choose. Which of us is the apple intended for? Athena didn't want to spoil her budding friendship with Hera, but if she wanted to be respected as a goddess, shouldn't she lay a claim on the apple too? After a moment of thought, her logic outweighed her emotions. It landed equally between all three of us. As equally fair goddesses, we ought to split it. Hera and Aphrodite both frowned in disgust and resumed snapping at each other. As the fight continued, a sprightly winged figure watched from outside. Eris, the goddess of discord, thrived on chaos and conflict. For that exact reason, she was the only Olympian not invited to the wedding. But that wouldn't stop her from stirring the pot. Eris thrived on chaos the same way Athena thrived on violent battle, whether she liked it or not. Eris had thrown the golden apple, the apple of discord, into the banquet. Her plan was to spark a fight among all the goddesses and steal attention from the bride. Thetis would get upset, and the whole marriage would start off on the wrong foot. Even after the goddesses picked the fairest among them, Thetis and Peleus would be fighting for years. So far, though, only Hera and Aphrodite seemed to care. Eris could fix that. She aimed anxious, nervous energy toward Athena. Across the banquet hall, something sparked Athena's warrior instinct. She could win this fight. She was beautiful, every bit as goddess as them. Athena took the golden apple for herself. Athena, we can't all be the fairest. Let us ask Zeus. He's the god of justice. It's his duty. He's also your husband. Zeus, we invoke your help. Zeus approached the three women, clocking the golden apple in Athena's hands. Beloved Zeus, am I not the fairest of all the goddesses? Do I not deserve an apple saying it's the truth? Athena showed him the engraving on the apple to the fairest. Zeus quickly determined he wanted no part in this nonsense. Here's what I propose. On Mount Ida, there lives a shepherd who was born a prince of Troy. He is a most excellent judge of beauty. Go to him, and he'll tell you which goddess is the fairest. His name is Paris. The three goddesses were each unwilling to bend, so they set out for Mount Ida. As the goddesses appeared in the meadow where Paris tended his sheep, Aphrodite stripped off her chiton. What are you doing? If Paris is to judge who's the fairest, he deserves to make an informed decision. A fair judgment. As Hera removed her robes, Athena's stomach dropped. Athena had never been naked in front of anyone. By Zeus's thunder, she'd been born fully dressed. But seeing the ease with which Hera and Aphrodite displayed their bodies, she wondered if the instinct to stay clothed was defensive. A warrior would never be so vulnerable, but a woman? Women were vulnerable all the time. Athena rejected her instincts. 
and stripped. There. I think I see Paris' flock in the distance. The three nude goddesses made their way through the meadow along Mount Ida toward the flock of sheep. Soon, they sighted Paris. When Paris saw them, he hid behind a sheep, embarrassed. No need to shy away, Paris, Prince of Troy. We came for your wise judgment. Paris gulped, eyeing the nude goddesses. If they killed him after this, he'd still die the luckiest man in all of Troy. Apologies, goddesses. Uh, How may I be of assistance? Paris of Troy, we've been sent by the great god Zeus to settle a dispute. Each of us believes we are the fairest. The gods have selected you to be the judge of our beauty. Yes, I can be the the judge. Oh, each of you is so... Hera handed Paris the golden apple, her fingertips lingering on his wrist. Let us know when you've made a decision. The goddesses stood before Paris patiently. Athena didn't know how to best show off her body, so she tried to mimic Hera and Aphrodite's positions. She felt simultaneously hot and cold under the man's hungry eyes. Her confidence waned by the second. Paris was certainly taking his time. Choose me, and I'll give you luck and skill in battle. You'll lead the Trojans to war against the Greeks, and leave all of Greece in ruins. No warrior will be more powerful than you. Paris's surprised eyes flicked upward, meeting Athena's in consideration. The Greeks have overpowered my people for centuries. Name me as the fairest, and we'll leave Greece in ruins. Forget Troy. Choose me and I'll make you king over all of Europe and Asia. Victory? Power? All pales in comparison to love. I'll make the most beautiful woman in the world your wife. Athena hadn't anticipated the other goddesses offering bribes, but hoped the Trojan hatred of the Greeks would be enough. The goddesses smiled at Paris seductively, bribes on the table. Paris, still flustered by the beautiful naked goddesses in front of him, could think of only one thing. Aphrodite. She is the fairest. Paris handed Aphrodite the apple. It was decided. Athena dressed quickly. She felt dirty and dishonored. Why had she stooped so low to care for the judgment of a mortal? And worse, why wasn't she as beautiful as Aphrodite? Athena, there you are. I have a proposal for you. I don't want to torture Aphrodite. It's not worth it. Forget Aphrodite. Paris is about to start a war. He's going to marry the most beautiful woman in the world. That's hardly... Do you know who the most beautiful woman in the world is? Helen, the daughter of Zeus and Queen Leda. Your half-sister. In Sparta? But she's married to King Menelaus. Oh... She's married to King Menelaus. If the Prince of Troy steals the wife of the King of Sparta, war will follow. A little help from the goddess of war, and the Greeks win. Let me consider it. Athena took several days and several nights to weigh her decision. It would be one thing if a Greek warrior asked her for help. 
she'd consider his virtue, his skill, and if his intentions were noble. If she went to war, she could teach the Greeks strategy, so the bloodshed would be calculated, and the victory absolute. But getting involved in human affairs without a mortal praying to her or offering her a sacrifice, well, it was a very Hera thing to do. The thought of Paris made her blood boil. But was revenge really practical? Finally, she returned to Hera with a clear mind. I've considered your proposal to seek divine revenge on Paris. Good. What have you chosen? Let the Trojans be destroyed. Up next, Athena joins the Trojan War. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees. Sergeant and Mr. Smith, you're going to love this house. Bunk beds in a closet? There's no field manual for finding the right home. But when you do, USAA Homeowners Insurance can help protect it the right way. Restrictions apply. Now back to the story. Though ten years of war was nothing to the immortal goddesses, Paris survived longer than expected. While Hera was happy to see him suffer in the besieged city of Troy, Athena wanted the prince dead. She'd hoped Achilles, the son of Thetis and Peleus, would kill Paris, but it appeared that Zeus's plan to ensure Thetis' son was half-human, and thus not very powerful, had succeeded. Achilles was useless to her. So Athena turned to Odysseus and Ippias. They might be mere mortals, but she could teach them all the same. She appeared to the men in dreams and convinced them to build a giant hollow wooden horse. She instructed them to hide 40 men inside the horse, then feign a retreat, leaving the horse and one man behind. The forgotten man told the Trojans the wood horse was a peace offering intended for the temple of Athena in Troy. When the Trojan priest Laocoon spoke out against accepting a gift from the Greeks, Athena summoned two sea serpents to eat him and his children alive. She wished there was another way, but their deaths were necessary to prevent hundreds more. Her wooden horse strategy would end the war decisively. And besides, Hera, queen of the goddesses, approved of it. The Trojans took the horse into Troy, unaware that Ippias and 39 of his Greek soldiers hid inside it. That night, as the Trojans slept, the soldiers appeared as if from nowhere inside Athena's temple. The Greeks took the city quickly, mowing down Trojans in their beds. The Trojans, caught unaware, resorted to using pieces of their homes and buildings as weapons. Troy descended into blood and fire. Falling bricks crushed limbs, and flaming beams took out eyes. Slipping into Troy herself, Athena guided a warrior's arrow into Paris's eye. He'd die a slow, agonizing death, 
and never judge a woman's looks again. Revenge was sweet, but even better was the smile Athena shared with Hera over Paris's funeral pyre. Though she helped the Greeks defeat the Trojans to get her revenge on Paris, Athena aided other heroes too. None of them questioned why Athena was the only woman on the battlefield, the only woman to command the soldiers' respect. But some say Athena is a misogynist goddess of a misogynist society. She has a pattern of helping men and harming women. It's evident in what she did to Arachne. Over time, Athena began to put her wisdom to use, resolving civil disputes instead of fighting wars. But one day, Hera came to her with concern. I thought you should know. Maybe you don't want to know, and that's fine, but it's always better to know. When Zeus is unfaithful, I always wish to know so I can act accordingly. What am I supposed to know, or not know? You aren't being very clear. The rumors, Athena. I've vowed to stay a virgin. There's no husband to be unfaithful to me. It's a mortal girl. One of my priestesses? No. She's called Arachne. She's merely a peasant. But she's been claiming she can weave better than anyone. Even you. Athena arrived at Arachne's home, still boiling with anger. She took in the tiny stone hut... Was this a twisted joke? Certainly no one of importance would live here, under a mud-thatched roof. There wasn't even a door. If she was so good of a weaver, why not weave a curtain? Arachne? Is the woman who calls herself a greater weaver than Athena here? A maiden in a beautifully woven dress scampered out of the shadows. She'd been caught unaware, with a skein of yarn still around one arm, its tail trailing behind her. I'm here. Hello, hello. Are you here for a custom piece? My work is perfect for housewarmings, new babies, wedding gifts. No, I would not like to buy anything. Oh, if you reconsider, my work is better than the goddess Athena herself. But if you aren't here to... You believe that? You're better than Athena? Oh, yes. I've trained my whole life. And we all know Athena's better suited as a god of war than for womanly things. You work with her blessing? I work with my own blessing. Athena wouldn't deign to touch me. Athena took Arachne's hand. I am Athena. Arachne dropped to her knees. Athena kept a vice grip on Arachne's hand, preventing her from running away. Goddess, I apologize. I, I... I didn't come for false apologies. Arachne quivered, her big black eyes welling up. I challenge you to a contest. Here this day will each weave a tapestry. Then we can judge who's truly the better weaver. What do you say? I say I'm the better weaver. Tightening her grip on Arachne's hand, Athena forced a handshake. In Arachne's hut, each woman set up her own loom. They procured the finest threads, gold and silver and every color in the rainbow, splayed out in the small space. The local mortals, and even some of the gods, came to watch the contest, filling up the hut so fully that they were forced to move outdoors, taking piles of prismatic thread and hanging it from cypress trees. 
Athena and Arachne began to weave, shuttles darting across their looms. Ribbons of thread filled the air, mixing with the panicked sweat coming off both weavers and glinting like gossamer in the sun. There was more color and chaos than the aftermath of a party thrown by Dionysus. Soon, two pictures began to form. Athena's work depicted the proud mortal king Erisichthon. He stole trees from Demeter's garden to build a banquet table. Demeter saw the stumps and cursed Erisichthon with eternal hunger, so he would never leave his banquet table and never steal from the gods again. Arachne's tapestry depicted Zeus in various forms, an eagle, a bull, a swan, a man. Athena wondered if she was being harsh on Arachne. In each image, Zeus was powerful and frightening. It showed deference to the gods. The pair finished their weaving in the same moment and stepped back to reveal their handicrafts to the assembled crowd. Both works were exquisite, none in any way inferior to the other. Athena looked to Arachne's tapestry, eager to find a flaw. As she took it in, her jaw began to clench. Yes, Arachne had depicted Zeus's power of transformation, but in each form, Zeus was with a woman, Europa, Ganymede, Leda, Persephone. And in each image, Athena's father committed rape. Fury built within Athena. She ripped the cloth down the center. All her efforts to become more womanly, to develop artistic skill, and she was still equal to a human. The call of battle summoned her, and Athena turned on Arachne. She raised up her shuttle and struck Arachne repeatedly with the long wooden tool. All Athena's anger flooded out, not just her hatred of Arachne, but of Paris, Aphrodite, Zeus, and even herself. Athena hit Arachne over and over again for winning the contest, for choosing Aphrodite as the fairest, for making her stand naked in front of a man, for conceiving her with just a thought and no mother, for killing Pallas, for failing again and again to be the woman she wanted to be, even as she hit Arachne till every inch of her skin was red. Athena vanished, leaving proud Arachne a sobbing lump in the mud. Athena thought the trouble with Arachne had passed until she realized her loom was missing. She must have forgotten it at Arachne's hut. Sure, she could easily get another, but on principle, the tapestry ought to hang in one of her temples. She waited until just after midnight, when Arachne would be asleep. Athena could drop by, take her loom, and leave, with no one the wiser. But when she appeared outside of Arachne's hut, Athena's loom was gone. That damn mortal must have taken it for herself. Athena marched into Arachne's hut, heart racing for another fight. It wasn't enough to ridicule the gods. You had to steal from... Arachne? Arachne. The blood in Athena's veins went still. Inside the hut, Arachne swung from a long white rope, body bloated, 
her face purple from bruising. Arachne had committed suicide. Next week, Athena deals with the consequences of Arachne's death. Struggling to find her place, she creates monsters and learns the hard way that she is the only one who can destroy them. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday. You can find more episodes of Mythology, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler, additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Mythology is written by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson.